So as many of you would know, we're just getting close to the end of our series here in Ephesians, and we're doing a series within a series, uh, Spiritual Warfare. And uh, last week we, we looked, we began to look at the armor of God, and, and what we looked at last week were the, the, the different aspects of the armor that are primarily, as we noted, uh, defensive uh, in nature. The, um, we talked about the, uh, the, our, our waist girded with the truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. And, and all of those were primarily uh, things that God has given us through his word in order to enable us to stand our ground. And, and so now we come back to this, but we're gonna look today at the one offensive weapon in the list here, and this is the sword of the spirit. And, and so with the sword of the spirit, we're not only uh, enabled to merely stand our ground, but we're enabled to advance. We're enabled to take new ground, and that's what we want to consider. And so as we look at this piece of the armor uh, that God has given us to defeat the devil's attempts to hinder or overthrow God's work in our lives, both individually and collectively, um, we see the sword of the Spirit is the means uh, with which we are going to be able to do that. So let's just think about the, the sword of the spirit for a moment. Put the, put the emphasis, I'm gonna put the emphasis initially on sword. So the sword was, as I said, an offensive weapon uh, that enabled the soldier not only to hold ground, but to take ground. Uh, in the ancient world, the sword was the weapon of uh, choice primarily. And it was the weapon through which nations conquered other nations. It was the weapon through which, in many ways, the Romans uh, subdued the world. And so when you talk about the sword, you're talking about uh, a, a powerful weapon. Uh, the sword destroyed the enemy. Uh, in the Old Testament, as you're reading through the Old Testament, you come across this phrase quite frequently. That's, it's describing the utter destruction of, a, of an enemy. And it says... Uh, that they, they smote them with the edge of the sword or they struck them uh, with the edge of the sword. And, and so that, the idea there is of um, conquering, overcoming, defeating the enemy. And so it is the sword of the spirit. But let's look at that same phrase and put the emphasis now on spirit. It is a sword of the spirit. And so... We, we understand that we're talking about something here that is spiritual. Uh, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not material. They're not merely human weapons. But as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, they are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. And so uh, the sword of the spirit is a spiritual weapon. And it's the weapon that the spirit has given to us so we can defeat the enemy. So this, this is what the, the Lord has given us. He's given us the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit, of course, is God's word. And um, the Bible tells us that God's word did not come uh, by, by men. 
It, it wasn't something that was devised in the minds of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the sword of the Spirit, we need to recognize this is the, this is the instrument that the Spirit has given to us in order for us to uh, have victory ourselves and help uh, others have victory, see the church advance, the sword of the Spirit, the, the Word of God. Now, knowing that this is the, the primary offensive weapon, Satan works overtime to try to uh, you know, keep us from utilizing this weapon. The, the devil has always, historically, and even to this very day, he tries to undermine the, uh, the truth of the scripture. He tries to undermine the authority of the scripture. He tries to prevent the proclamation of the gospel. He, he tries to hinder the word of God from going out. Why? Because he knows this is the, this is the instrument. This is the, the thing that the spirit has provided to individual Christians and to the church to destroy his efforts, to destroy his, his work, to beat back his advances and to take ground from him. And so he's, he's working overtime. So we have got to realize that this is the weapon that God's given to us. And we've got to do everything to make sure we understand the effectiveness of the weapon. We, we need to do everything we can to understand how to uh, effectively utilize this weapon. And so the sword of the spirit is, as Paul tells us here plainly, it is the word of God. It is the word of God. Now, the word here for word is not uh, the, the normal Greek word that we hear so often about. We, we quite often hear uh, about the Greek word logos. And of course, that's the, the word that's used in reference to Jesus, who uh, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Uh, logos is the Greek word that's translated word there. And now this is a different word. This is the Greek word rhema. And the difference, I, I think, is uh, somewhat important in that the rhema is a, it could refer to a, a saying or uh, a specific word. It could refer to a, a verse, a singular verse, or it could refer to uh, a number of verses in scripture. But, but the idea here is that it is a very uh, specific Word as we, as we considered the the defensive aspect of the armor, we talked about how the the whole picture of the armor of God is really it boils down to this. It boils down to um, it's an understanding of God's word and an application of God's word. That's what it is to put on the whole armor of God is to understand and to apply God's word properly. And when we come to the sword of the spirit. This is where things get very, very specific. And as we pointed out in a previous uh, teaching, we saw Jesus use the sword of the spirit there in the wilderness against Satan. And, and that's really a great illustration because Jesus applies a very specific word to 
the opposition that the devil brings. So the devil comes and he says, if you're the son of God, turn these stones uh, into bread. And how does Jesus respond? Man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you're the son of God, uh, cast yourself off the, this pinnacle of this temple here. And Jesus says, you, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Um, then Satan comes, you remember, finally, and he, he shows them all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. Bow down and worship me. And Jesus responds very specifically, it is written, you shall worship the Lord and him only shall you serve. So as we see Jesus utilizing uh, the, the word there against the devil, that is really the perfect picture of what we're talking about here when Paul says to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But there are a few other examples where Jesus uses the word to combat the enemy. And I want to draw your attention to a few of these others where he's not dealing directly with Satan, but he's dealing with Satan's agents uh, who happened to be at the time, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so, uh, but again, in each one of these, we're gonna see how Jesus took and he answered their, uh, their opposition with very specific uh, statements and he answered with scripture. So uh, maybe you remember today, of course, is Palm Sunday. And although we're not doing a, a traditional Palm Sunday message, the, the first incident that I want to remind you of occurred in the context of Palm Sunday. Maybe you remember the situation where as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, he's coming down the Mount of Olives and the people are hailing him as the Messiah. And they're laying out the, the palm branches and some of their garments and so forth. And Jesus is coming down the hill on that little donkey. And the children are crying out, Hosanna to the son of David, save now. And basically, the children are proclaiming Jesus to be the Messiah. And this angered the religious leaders at the time. And they came to Jesus and uh, they told him, stop them. Don't allow them to do this. And Jesus, notice how he responded. He says, have you never read? So what does he do? He immediately goes back to the scriptures. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing children you have perfected praise. So you see, again, Jesus takes and he applies a specific word from the scripture to the opposition that the enemy is bringing. So we see him now doing essentially the same thing that we saw take place in the wilderness, except it's just a slightly different uh, context. So that's one example. But then you go on and you find uh, once again, in that same week, uh, Jesus has a confrontation with the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were the liberals of the day, theologically. They, they were the ones who resisted the, the miraculous, the supernatural. They were the ones who said uh, there was uh, no spirit, uh, there was no resurrection. And they came to Jesus with a hypothetical situation that they thought was an airtight argument against the resurrection. You remember the story where they come and they say, um, there, there was a, um, 
a woman. She was married to a man. Uh, he died. Uh, his brother took her as wife. He died. On and on and on. Seven brothers had the same woman as their wife. They all died. She finally died. When, when they got to heaven, whose wife is she going to be? Because all seven uh, of these brothers had been her husband. So in their minds, this was the, the airtight argument against the resurrection. And again, Jesus responded, and this is what he said. He said, you are greatly mistaken, not knowing the scriptures or the power of God. And then he said this, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? So you see, once again, Jesus is gonna go back to the scriptures. He's gonna go back to the Bible, if you will. And he is going to defeat their argument by using the scriptures. So he goes on and he says, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Uh, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living for all live to him. So Jesus just refuted their whole thing by uh, essentially telling them that they had no, um, uh, their case was invalidated. And there is indeed a resurrection. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. They're, they're living today, even though they had physically died many centuries earlier. But my point is he takes them back to the scripture. One other example uh, is found in the Lord's response to the assertion, again, that very same week, this is in the last week, Jesus enters uh, Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday today. And then a week later, he will be crucified. So all of these things transpire in that particular week. But there's um, the case where the Pharisees were teaching that the Messiah was the son of David in the sense that they were teaching that the Messiah was just simply a, another human being. So Jesus says this to them. He says, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, David himself said, notice in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? So they said the Messiah is just merely a man. Jesus says, well, the scriptures say that uh, the Messiah is the Lord. So again, my, my primary point is just to show you that Jesus demonstrated for us, he exemplified for us what it is to take the sword of the spirit in that every time he faced opposition from the devil, either directly or indirectly, he answered back with God's word. And that's what it means to take the sword of the spirit. We are to take God's word, and this is how we are to respond to the attack of the enemy, whether it be those more personal kinds of attacks that we talked about before that maybe are um, taking place in our minds, or uh, whether it be the kind of attack that comes in, in the broader sense against God's people collectively, the church, as you have those who are coming against the uh, truth of the scripture or the authority of the scripture. They're denying uh, that the Bible is uh, really God's word. And there's plenty of that going on in the culture today, as you probably know. Now, coming into Easter week, of course, uh, 
we're not only are, are we but God's people, the, the true believer is going to be celebrating and worshiping, but you know, we're, there's, we're going to be inundated with all kinds of uh, movies. There's probably a number of articles in the news periodicals that are zeroing in on the Christian faith right now and the person of Jesus. And, and what you're going to find is they're going to, uh, they're going to be denying the, the deity of Christ. They're going to be denying that he actually bodily rose from the dead or suggesting that, well, you know, this is what the Christians believe, but there probably isn't any real historical evidence for it. And all of this kind of stuff is going to be happening uh, throughout the week. So maybe this week at work, you're going to have a conversation with somebody who's going to say, hey, I watched that, I watched that thing on the Discovery Channel the other night or uh, something like that. And, and they said that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. What do you got to say about that? Well, this is where you take out the sword of the Spirit. This is where we need to be able to go back to the Word of God and respond to them. Early this morning when I was picking up um, a coffee at my favorite coffee place, one of the young guys that works in there, he's a Christian, his dad's a pastor, and we have conversations occasionally when I go in. And uh, he was asking me this morning about a, a book that he's reading on the Old Testament uh, where the author is pretty much denying the historicity of the Old Testament. He's denying the historicity of Adam and Eve. They didn't really exist. And uh, saying things like, well, the, the, the Israelites conquered the Canaanites, not because God told them to and the Canaanites were wicked, but because they just wanted the land and uh, they were stronger, so they kicked them out of the land. And, you know, naturalizing it and reading into the text all kinds of... Uh, current popular theories and things like that. So, so anyway, he's asking me about the book and he's telling me a little bit about what the guy said. And, you know, just as quick as he's telling me this in my mind, I'm thinking of like 10 different scriptures that refute the theories of this particular author. And so I mentioned a few things to him and he said, oh yeah, I forgot about it. He's, he's a believer. It's not like he's saying, no, I, I, I agree with this guy but he was just asking me some questions about it. But, you know, just the ability to go back to the word and point out how, okay, well, this guy's a theologian, but yet he denies the, the historicity of the Bible. He denies the authority of the Bible, uh, but he's, he's doing so uh, based upon just his own opinion. And he's leaving out a lot of biblical statements that clearly are in conflict with his theory. So I just brought up two or three different things that uh, he had maybe not taken into consideration. And the young guy was like, yeah, you're right. Oh, I forgot about that. That's good. Yeah. And then I recommended uh, a couple of other books that he could read. But all of that to say, <laughs> all of that to say, this is, this is the reality that we live in. We live in an environment where there's a ton of hostility coming from certain segments of the culture toward the Christian faith. And this is where we have got to be. We're the, we're the people that uh, are at the front lines in this battle. We're, we're believers. And we are not in this battle to merely protect ourselves and to try not to lose ground. We're in this battle to take ground. We want to see the church Advance. We want to see more people come to the faith. And in order to do that, we've got to get the message out. And if we're going to get the message out, first of all, we've got to make sure it's in. 
It's got to be in us. And we see that with Jesus. Jesus knew the scriptures. Obviously, he knew them. He was saturated in them. Of course, he was the living word. But Jesus, was in his humanity, Jesus, no doubt, beyond the shadow of a doubt, as a, as a, as a man and as a young man, he studied the scriptures diligently. You remember the story in Luke's gospel when he was 13 years old and he's in the temple and he's reasoning with the doctors and they're marveling at his understanding. Uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't necessarily, it, actually it wasn't at all connected to his deity at that point because he was functioning as a human being. So he sets an example for us that we need to know the scriptures, but we see it also with the apostles. The apostles, as they went out into the world, they were equipped with God's word. And as they would confront various situations, God's word was so in them that they were able in an instant to draw upon it to respond to you know, the various things that they faced. And that's what we want to be able to do as well. You know, in those days when, when something came up, they wouldn't, you know, in a, in a confrontation or, or whatever it might have been. Um, and I'm not saying you can't do this, but sometimes it's, it's rather inconvenient. But you, you don't see them, you know, back in those days, they didn't have Bibles like we do in a codex kind of a form in a book. They had a scroll. Could you imagine if they're in some sort of a confrontation? Hey, wait, wait. Let, let me get my scroll out. And, you know, rolling out this long scroll and trying to find someplace. Um, they, they might've done that. They could have done that. And, and we certainly at times want to open our Bibles and point people to them. And, you know, if we, if we don't have those things memorized, but the idea ultimately is that we would get God's word so into us that it can easily flow from us. And that is practically what it would look like to take the sword of the spirit. So I'm going to give you four things that are going to help you to be able to do that. Four basic things, simple things, things that all of us can do, all of us need to be doing. And it starts with simply reading our Bibles, reading our Bibles. Now you would think, of course, Brian, why are you telling us reading our Bible? We know that. Well, yes, we do know that. You know what they say about the Bible? It is the best loved, least read book in the world. <laughs> we all love our Bibles. We have our Bibles, but so many people don't read their Bibles. You know, some people buy books for decoration purposes. They, they look good on a bookshelf. And some people do that with a Bible as well. Uh, when I grew up as a kid, we had a massive Bible on the coffee table in our house. No one ever thought to open it for anything. It just, you know, it was a piece of the decoration. And so that can happen, right? We don't want to be in that category where we're, we're lovers of, Bi of the Bible, but we're not readers of the Bible. So... Our first and simplest approach to the scriptures is to read them, to read them. Now, I recognize not everybody is able to read. Now, that's not so much a problem in our cultural situation, but uh, I was just in Central America, as some of you know, 
And uh, many people in the culture there are not able to read. And so in those rare cases, you know, there are other options and things, thank God, that we can uh, point people to. But in, in our case, just assuming that we can all read, let's um, talk about this for a moment. Reading through the Bible. And I recommend uh, for younger Christians, newer Christians, that reading through the Bible starts in the New Testament. Start in the book of Matthew and make your way through, all the way through the New Testament, make your way through the book of Revelation. Um, you know, go at a pace of, you can, you can start as a, a chapter a day. Um, maybe you would like to take on a little bit more, maybe a couple chapters, but, but make your way through the Bible, just reading through it. Because you see, as we're just reading through the Bible, there's something that's happening. There's a, a supernatural cleansing that's taking place. God is washing us internally through his word. He's cleansing our minds. He's renewing our minds. There, this is God's word. It's not the, the words of men. It's the words of God. So as we just read through the scriptures, uh, this goes a long way to help us be equipped with the armor of God. So start in the New Testament. If you've already read through the New Testament, then you can go back uh, into the Old Testament. I, I do not recommend as a new Christian starting uh, to read exclusively in, in Genesis and then try to make your way all the way through. Uh, guarantee you will, uh, there's a certain point where you're gonna run out of uh, motivation. Uh, Genesis is great, all of that history, all of that narrative, those stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all of that's great. The early parts of Exodus are great. The story of Moses and the deliverance of the people from Egypt and the Red Sea and all, all of those things are wonderful. But you know, you get to about chapter 27, 26 of Exodus and then you start getting into all the fine details of the temple and the priestly garments and, and then you go from there into Leviticus and you know, a few chapters into Leviticus, you're into all these sacrifices and you're like, what in the world does any of this mean and how does this apply? And most people drop out at that point. Say, oh, I, you know, I tried to read the Bible, but I, uh, you know, I got, got, got about a third of the way into Leviticus and then I gave up. So don't start there. Um, that, that's where you go after you get a, a good grounding in the New Testament. But I would say also that you could add to you're, if you're reading through the New Testament, you could go back and read the Psalms as well because the Psalms are just general um, scriptures for encouragement, for praise, for worship, for comfort, and all of that. And th that's a good combination. So just read through your Bible. I usually do this reading. I, I usually do this in the evening. It's kind of like before bed, not immediately before, but a lot of times over the years, just before bed, that would be my time to, to actually read through maybe, maybe five chapters or so. And I'm reading it just like I would read another book. I'm, I want to make my way through. So I'm not necessarily slowing down or pausing to look at a whole lot of detail. I'm just, I'm just getting an overview in a sense as I'm reading through. Now, one other thing I would say as you're reading your Bible, on a very practical note, you want to have a translation that is easy to understand. 
especially when you're reading. Now, different translations are written at different uh, reading levels. Um, the King James Version is written at a 12th grade reading level. And you might say, well, <laughs> you know, 12th grade, what's that? I went to college. Uh, you know, not many people read that well uh, above 12th grade reading level, even people that went to college. So it's, it's a pretty sophisticated read, uh, 12th grade reading level. The New King James Version, which is what I normally use, is written at, the, at a ninth grade reading level. Um, the NIV, I think, is uh, seventh grade. I like the NIV myself. <laughs> and the NLT is probably uh, that as well. But with the NLT and the NIV especially, they, they're very um, reading friendly. And, and I like that about it. When you're, when you're just reading through, you want something that's reading friendly. So for this aspect of approaching the word, reading through, I, I would encourage you to read a reading friendly version. And so as we read through, see, here's what's happening. The Holy Spirit is slowly but surely reprogramming us. That's what's happening. By reading through the scriptures, we are being trained by the Holy Spirit to think spiritually. We're, we're having our worldview transformed. Now, this happens to everybody, depending on what you subject yourself to. You know, it's amazing how uh, young people will go off to universities and they will, they will get so influenced by their professors and all of that that they, they mentally turn into different people. They just see the world in a completely different way. And whatever you subject yourself to, to some degree, that's going to happen. But if you subject yourself to God's word, you are going to be developing the mind of Christ. So number one, simply read through the Bible. Secondly, we want to meditate on the scriptures. And meditation is obviously something more um, or something deeper than just simply reading. Uh, to meditate, the word the word meditate comes to us uh, from, from words that, that speak of uh, pondering something or, or uh, really thinking it over. Literally, it comes from the idea of chewing something. You know, we talk about, uh, you know, I wanna, I'm going to chew that over. We use that terminology. Well, the word, the Hebrew word, uh, actually comes from that very idea. Just as the... Um, the, the cows would, you know, eat the grass and digest it and then regurgitate it and uh, chew it over. Uh, they talk about chewing the cut. That's the idea. Well, that, that's the, actually the picture that the scripture gives of meditation. You're chewing it over. You're pondering it. You're thinking about it. You're talking to yourself about it. You're praying over it. So this is obviously a, a slower process and it's a deeper look at the text. So I personally think that we need to be reading it at the same time we need to be meditating. It doesn't necessarily mean we're doing it at the exact same time, but for, for myself, um, I've always tried to have a time during the day where I'm reading through, like I said, usually in the evenings for me, but my morning time would always be spent more in meditation. 
So it's in the morning time when I'm maybe a little bit fresher and more alert where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really think through these passages. I'm going to just stop and, and I'm going to talk to myself about them and I'm going to talk to the Lord about them. And of course, the Bible itself tells us blessed is the man or the woman whose delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law, they meditate day and night. So it's that meditative approach where we really are looking for God to to give us deep understanding and insight into his word. And then from there, I would add study. And the difference between meditating and studying is, in, in one sense, it's the difference between uh, just using uh, your, your, your Bible text uh, it, itself and bringing in assistance from the outside. And there's a place for both. When I meditate, I don't, I don't bother to use a commentary. I don't bother to necessarily look up uh, the meaning of a Greek or a Hebrew word or whatever. I'm, I'm just looking at the, at the passage, praying about it, thinking about it. When I'm studying, I'm using Bible dictionary, Bible handbook. I'm using a word study uh, help at, at certain times. I'm using a commentary. And these are all written forms of of things that will help you study. But then, of course, today we have uh, that in audio form. We have that in video form. Um, you know, as a, as a church, historically, we have this, this great history of uh, being able to listen to the Bible on tape. Pastor Chuck having taught through the Bible so many times over the years, that having been recorded. When I was a, a young Christian, I had, uh, I had hundreds of Chuck tapes. And uh, back in those days, I had my cassette player and, you know, I'd go down to the beach for a surf and, you know, I had my big boom box with me, but uh, <laughs> I wasn't listening to boom box kind of music. I was listening to Pastor Chuck. And, uh, but we, we, we understand that, right? We, that's kind of part of our culture. Well, that's one of the ways that, that I studied, that's one of the ways that you have studied. Uh, we still do that today. We have a radio station. And, uh, you know, some people, I know people that uh, have gone through the Bible on the Bible bus with J. Vernon McGee over and over again. You know, I have some friends that are in their 90s and they've been like, we've been 10 times, you know, <laughs> on the Bible bus tour with Dr. McGee. And, uh, but, but these are just other ways that we can, we can study subjecting ourselves to um, learning through gifted Bible teachers. And of course, when you're coming, to, you're coming to Bible studies, you're coming as we go through the books of the Bible, as we teach here on Sunday morning, or as we do the, the through the Bible on Wednesday night, those, those are all parts of studying. And today we have so many great things with all these podcasts and you know, great Bible teaching, people putting that out, making it available. So much of it is for free. Uh, we have, you know, in the English language, we have more um, biblical literature translated than in any other language in the world by far. We're like a hundred times ahead of the next uh, closest uh, language. So we, we have a ton of stuff available to us. And 
we need to study our Bibles. So, you know, I have to confess to you, I was like the world's worst student uh, when, when I was back in school. I just, I just didn't have time for school, unfortunately. Uh, now I realize that. Back then, I didn't. But I, I fell in love with the Bible and wanted to study it. And as I grew in studying the Bible, that, that got me interested in studying a lot of other things as well. Things that pertain to the scriptures, things that relate to, uh, you know, the Christian life in the modern world or whatever the case might be. So, um, but this is part of it, that we study God's word using the assistance of these things I've mentioned and, of course, uh, the learning by the gifted Bible teachers. God has appointed uh, people, some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So we all need to do that. I'm preaching to the choir. You're here. You're doing Bible study. Great. Good for you. Um, <laughs> and you can go as deep as you want with this. One final thing, then we'll wrap it up. Memorize. Memorizing the scripture, committing the word to memory is an important part of equipping ourselves. Now, of course, not everybody has the same capacity for memory as uh, others do. Um, some people have almost like photographic memories. And man, they just, you know, they just remember things. Um, Pastor Chuck, my father-in-law, had, he had one of those kind of photographic memories, really, and my son inherited that from him, my youngest son. And he's absolutely amazing. I mean, he, he'll read a book and then he'll just, he can almost repeat every word back to me. And um, I used to have a really good memory, <laughs> but not so much as they say nowadays. <laughs> For me these days, my, my memory is failing me fast. And um, so if you're younger, get this stuff in you while you're young, because there will come a time when you're thinking, how can I not remember that? Um, but memorizing scripture, David said, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So that's the idea. We're memorizing scripture. We're putting it in our heart. John, in writing his first epistle, chapter two, verse four, he said, I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. So you see the connection back. The word of God is the, it, that's how we get the victory over the devil. So committing the, the scripture to memory. Like I said, so, some people have just naturally better memories than others. But you know, I have also found that when you just put God's word in you and you make attempts to memorize it, you might not be as effective, you think, as somebody else. Your memory might not be as good. But you know, it's amazing how the Spirit of God will assist us at times and he will bring, as Jesus said, he will bring to your remembrance the things that I have said. And I have had that happen to me so many times. Uh, like I said, as I'm getting older and my uh, memory is kind of not what it used to be, uh, there'll be times when I, I'm hard pressed to remember John 3, 16. It's like, okay, wait, what's it say? Uh, let me think, let me think, let me think. Uh, <laughs> And then I kind of get it wrong. 
But then there are other times without any thought whatsoever, I, could, I can just quote verbatim a whole passage. I think, well, how in the world did I do that just now? Well, part of it is just the fact that I've been saturating myself in God's word for so many years. But the other part of it is that assistance of the spirit. The spirit brings God's word to us. And so memorize it. How do you memorize it? Well, read. You know what what I used to do is, you know how certain passages just kind of jump off the page at you? You know what I mean? You're you're reading a chapter and maybe there's 14 verses and, and two of those verses in that chapter, man, they just leap off the page. They're like, wow, that, that hits you. Whenever that would happen, I would take those verses and I say, I want to remember that. I, I want to memorize that. So one of the things I used to do back in the old days was I would write those down. And you can still do that today. Actually, you can write things down today. <laughs> um, but I, I would, I would write them on a three by five card and I would have maybe four or five cards that I just carry around in my pocket. And during a break or whatever I was doing during the day, I just pull them out and I would read them over again. So Uh, reading over the scripture. But you know, when you write the scriptures down, that has, uh, I think that has also the effect of sort of etching that in your mind if you write it. So as you write it down, that's going to help to memorization. And, And then you just repeat it to yourself. So again, as I said earlier, Jesus obviously committed Uh, himself to the memory of scripture. The apostles committed themselves to the memory of scripture. And as we read it and meditate on it and study it and memorize it, this will in effect uh, enable us to do what the apostle tells us to do. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So that's how we do it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've preserved it and that you've given it to us. And Lord, of of all the people in the world, we, the English-speaking population, have been so blessed with so much. And yet we know that to whom much is given, much is required. So help us to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to understand that it is so vital that we know your word, that we uh, give ourselves over to it. It's vital for our own personal uh, transformation and growth and development, but it's vital also if we're gonna see your kingdom advance. It's vital if we're gonna be able to help other people see the truth uh, in the midst of a world of deceit. So in Jesus' name, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit and grant us the knowledge of your word that we so desperately need and that you desire for us to have. We pray for this in Jesus' name, amen.